and we are back, ladies and gentlemen, and I am joined by my very, very special guest on this episode. The one, the only, Mr. MJ Dixon. How the devil are you, MJ? Um, I'm good, yeah. That's quite an intro. <laughs> it's not bad, is it, for this time of the morning? I have a lot yeah. of coffee. I felt, I felt like royalty for a, <laughs> for a brief moment. <laughs> oh, man, thank you so much for coming on. And um, I know it's sort of... Uh, Strange times, but I really appreciate you giving up some time and coming on and having a chat with us today. Oh, absolutely, no problem at all. Now, so I sort of, um, I, you know, I think it's fair to say I came across some of your films um, uh, as I, as you do, sort of, you know, scrolling through Amazon Prime and sort of came across um, for Slasher House, and then I realised that we do have a friend, a mutual friend in common, uh, Mr. Derek Nelson. Oh yeah, yeah. Derek. <laughs> yeah, what a guy! Oh, he's 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 amazing. He's absolutely fab. He is, he is. Um, and he's he kindly sort of uh, made a sort of uh, a virtual introduction for us. Um, yes. So it was great sort of having you on. Um, but obviously, you've uh, you know, it's looking back through your sort of uh, your filmography and things like that. You've got some absolutely fantastic sort of projects out there. And I was lucky enough to get some time this week and sit down and watch a few of your films. Um, And I got to say, absolutely loved them. Absolutely, really had a really good time watching them. It was great. Um, And you've got your own um, production label. And I'm going to say this properly because we double-checked. Is Myco Production. Yes. Yes. So what's the story behind that? Where did it all start? Well, um, I'd been... I think when I left school, I really wanted to be a writer. Um... And that that was kind of where I thought my life was heading. Um, I'd also I was also training to be um, a web developer as well, mm. um, which I really enjoyed. But it wasn't creatively. There was only so much you can be yeah. creative with it. And I'd always thought that I'd want to be involved in film somewhere. Yeah. Um, but my thinking was, well, if I become a writer, then I can write some stuff, and then um, I'll ask Stephen King. You know, that stuff yeah. can be adapted into movies and I can get involved that way. And then hopefully I'll be able to write some films. Um, and it was really just uh, a couple of lads that I knew from uh, from school were making like this kind of like awful little slasher movie kind of thing, you know, in the woods, um, up, up the hill behind uh, behind the estate kind of thing. <laughs> um, and they said, oh, we can you would you come and be in it? You know, um and I said, yeah, yeah, of course, because obviously I had an interest in that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I, while I was there, I kind of thought, you know what, maybe I should just go for writing stuff myself, you know, directly to, to film. And so yeah. I kind of just fell into it that way and started trying to kind of get things off the ground. Um, and uh, where I lived, that was quite difficult. Um, there wasn't a, like there wasn't like a film community, yeah, and the yeah. film community there was there wasn't particularly um, fruitful or um, <clears throat> encouraging. I guess would be yeah. the. Um, <clears throat> so I started a company called um, Demo Imaging, um, and it was just basically like a the idea was to create a production company so I could create. Um, short films and mm. that was another couple of filmmakers that kind of we worked together on that um but i was finding it really difficult to uh because sometimes when you start making stuff with other people it's a bit like death by committee yeah, yeah. you know um, and so i found that it was hard to get stuff done because there was a lot to and fro and people wanted things one way and wanted things another and so um i left my hometown in about 2003 mm. um to move to and i moved to preston um and that to me felt like a good place for a fresh start yeah um so i thought right well i'm going to kind of do away with what i've been doing before and start my own kind of thing and so i was just making films and with no real label or production company or yeah, anything yeah, yeah. just kind of making stuff and it about a year in um hadn't really released any of it and i thought i need to come up with something to put at the front of these these daft films yeah um and so i sat for you know um for you know a couple of weeks just writing down billions of different ideas and um i was at the time reading traumas um everything i learned about filmmaking i learned from the toxic avenger yeah and i was really fascinated by the fact that they created the word trauma yeah like as their own thing so no one could steal it no one could copy it and i thought ah 
what a brilliant idea. So I took my first name, which is Mike. Yeah. Um, and one of my favorite films, which is Psycho, yeah. and kind of mashed them together. I did this with a bunch of different things. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> they were terrible, like fucking like Mike Oween production. You know, there yeah, was a lot yeah. of mad stuff. Um, Mike Day the Thirteenth production. You know, <laughs> stupid crap like that. You know, and I had just pages and pages of stuff. And Mike O really hit me. I was like, oh, I love it. I love it. It's a no one can take it from me, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, fantastic. That's going to be that's going to be the label. And so uh, under that, I just started kind of producing short films um, for about five years. Just Because what I realised very quickly was that I wasn't very talented. I'm, not that I, not that I am now, but, um, you know, there, there was um, – I realised that it was very – I wasn't picking up filmmaking naturally, you know. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, I got to be honest with you, there are, you know, I think um, sort of, I you know, myself, I've done sort of smaller, smaller short films myself. And, you know, it was only really sort of on my last one where I had, you know, I had a budget and professional actors and a, and a professional crew where I realized I was more like Uwe Ball than, you know, Stanley Kubrick. And I think Uwe Ball is slightly talent has a bit more talent than I have. Well, I mean, I, I can get into into the cinema of Uwe Ball. Yeah, uh, yeah. Shortly. I, he's, he's been a he's been a hot topic in this house this week. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think I realised that I wasn't just particularly naturally talented at it, and that it was going to take me a lot of work. Um, and so I always, when it comes to something like that, I try to work smart. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Yeah. So. I was watching a lot of people talking, talking, talking about how they're going to make this amazing short film. And you see it going on for years and years. And I thought, right, no, it, the trick here is just make loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of terrible, terrible stuff. Just do it, you know. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I ended up doing is every week I was almost, I was making a new short film. I was writing it on like a Saturday afternoon. We were shooting it on like a when I was casting it kind of Monday, Tuesday, yeah. shooting it Wednesday night when I wasn't at work, um, you know, going to uni for two days, editing it on Saturday morning, having people round, showing them and then saying, all right, I've got an idea for another one. And then I come back from work at like three o'clock on a Saturday morning, start typing it out. And that that was kind of my schedule for like two years It's just making, you know, and I think I made about 25 short films over that time. Wow. All of very very low quality you know but it taught me so much because every time i'd go right what's wrong with this well you know you rushed the script okay right so let's take two weeks to write something you know and it was it would start to go like that and then or i'd say let's spend a few more days just writing writing one of these scripts or um and then i'd go well what's wrong with this one oh the lighting's terrible right okay well how can i make that better so um you know i'd go out and buy like you know one of those desk lamps that had like a uh, a weighted bottom yeah yeah so yeah that, you know so that i could and then i was breaking the weight off so i could put it on you know a yeah. plastering stand or whatever yeah and making cheap lights and then i was like the sound's not very good so how can i get the audio closer and i'd go out and buy audio adapters and th- this you know and i was at the time i was at university so i had no money um i was working three jobs just to be able to feed myself and pay rent so i, I had possibly like 20 quid a week to like add to my arsenal <laughs> so wow. was, you know so it was just trying to figure out how to make these things better but also with like no resources financially as well, you know. Um, and but it taught me so much. And by two thousand eight, I think I produced um, I produced a short film um, for my final assessment, my dissertation assessment at university, um, based on Herbert West's Reanimator. Mm, yeah, uh, I yeah, yeah. To make a short film version of that that was kind of a bit more modernised, um, and it was crap. Um, I'd like I made so many mistakes on it like even after making 25 odd films this was supposed to be like right this is when I make a really fucking good film yeah. and so I really tried my you know lighting it properly getting the sound properly and I did everything possible I could possibly have done wrong um, like I cast like someone who was a bit wishy-washy as like the female lead so then she stopped turning up halfway through so I had to recast and shoot other things I shot one of the scenes in four by three rather than sixteen nine oh. because of cameras 
kind of automatically had both modes back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I shot an entire scene without turning the microphone on. You know, like, <laughs> um, I made every mistake you could possibly make, but I got the fucking bastard done, you know. Yeah. Um, and I sat down at the end of 2008 and looked at it and went, right, it's shit, but why is it shit? Why is it bad? Like, really analyze this. Yeah. Um, and so I did. I broke it all down. Um, and tried to figure out what was wrong with it, um, you know, in terms of story structure, in terms of lighting, in terms of, like, my approach to production, yeah. everything. And using all those things, I wrote, like, I had, like, a, like a you know, a cloud with fucking lines. Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. You know, I looked at it all and went, right, how do I make that better? And I made a film that was about two minutes long. I thought, let's go back to formula and start. Super simple, simple idea. Yeah, you know, simple lighting, like one cast member kind of thing. And I made a film called I Spy with my girlfriend at the time. Yeah. Um, she was like the lead in it. She was an aspiring actress. Um, and a friend of mine from university kind of um helped me kind of co-write this thing. Like yeah. you know, helped me kind of really tighten this story up so it was two pages of you know you of tight story no kind of tangents or anything it was yeah. just you know as tight as it possibly could be and we made this film um and we sent it to the um the horror channel yeah <laughs> and uh we never heard anything back right. uh, yeah yeah but in the meantime i think we sent it to um so we were waiting to hear back from the horror channel they were accepting short films at the time yeah, to put yeah. between uh you know, so we thought, well, we'll send it to them, and you know, obviously they'll play it on the TV. That's what you you think. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, we sent it to like um, a couple of um, short film festival things. Yeah. And um, it won um, top place in the H shorts to die for. Um, do you remember there was a series? Yeah, yeah, called, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Eight films to die. You release eight of them every year. Yeah. Well, they did a competition to hand shorts in, and it, it came like first place in wow. the um, eight shorts to die for competition. Yeah. Um, and that that was it for us. Like that was like well, uh, like it kind of launched my career. Like, um, because uh, it had loads of like media coverage. This crappy little two minute short film that I'd made in my girlfriend's mum's house. You know, like, <laughs> um, and so. Uh, people people who saw it started asking me, emailing me, saying, uh, what, what are you doing next? And I thought, oh, shit, like... i got to do something else, yeah. Um, and so, uh, inevitably, the next question that came to us was, when are you going to do a feature then? What's what's the feature project you're working on? Mm. And I thought, oh, well, like, I'd, for years I tried to get a feature off the ground. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd, there'd been various iterations of ideas of things I was going to try and make. There was a film about killer trees that I'd, <laughs> you know, been trying to get off the ground for about ten years. That I definitely knew was going to, hundred percent, was definitely going to be my first film. You know, um, and I worked. I tried to get off the ground for ten years, and uh, that just wasn't happening. There was a film about an an invisible dog that we developed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and then. Uh, that we again never got off the ground. We started to make a feature called Shaolin Shakedown, which nice. was like a martial arts horror comedy that really just fucking was so bad that I feel lucky that that didn't get finished. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but these had all been things I've been working on when I wasn't particularly an experienced filmmaker in my yeah. own life. Yeah. Um, but this felt like the right moment. And so um, I'd been developing another script that I'd been writing. Um, as part of my screenwriting degree yeah. uh, called Creepsville. Mm. Um, and it was like a 40 location, um, you know, grand scoping film with extras and clubs and, yeah. you know, uh, trains and all sorts of stuff. And for some idiotic reason, I decided that this was the film I should try and make with no fucking money. <laughs> um, and we we did we like we we shot it over five. It was supposed to take two weeks. We scheduled it for two weeks. It took five months, um, and we had like a crew of like at one point like twenty five people or something. You know, it was just yeah. Nuts. I'd never experienced anything like that. 
and ten years later, it's still not bloody finished. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, but it definitely was like a huge learning curve for me because the thing I learned really quickly was that basically I'd gone from writing, directing, producing, editing, yeah, exporting, putting it on the internet to um, someone was writing with me. I was directing, but I had a separate cinematographer, a separate sound guy, a separate producer, a separate, you know, like yeah, yeah. Uh, every department had its own separate person. And so I was just out of control, like, uh, w- w- you know, um, and it got to the point where I'm going, what's happening here? Oh, well, you know, I'll see what's, and, yeah. you know, I, I because I wasn't overseeing it myself, it started to get away from me. And yeah. before I knew it, like, uh, you know, the actors were like too busy to come back all the time to to record dialogue, and yeah, uh, the, or you know, I was waiting on sound design from someone, or you know, um, or VFX from someone, or yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And um, by the time I knocked down one hurdle, another ten had come up, yeah, um, yeah. and um, so it's just kind of sat there, half finished, like which is which which is really sad, but. This was going on over the case of like eighteen months, yeah. and I was like, "I that was the, that was the projected post production time I was given." That yeah. said, "It'll take about eighteen months to finish it," that, you know. And I thought, "I can't. There's no way I can sit waiting that long to start working on something else." Yeah. So um, I pulled out a, a draft of a script that I'd written in two thousand five, um, called Slasher House, mm. which was five actors in one location yeah and i went well i suppose i could do something quite small like you know in the meantime while i wait for my kind of big hit creeksville yeah. to come out yeah. i thought i'll do um I'll, I'll go and do slush house um i mean the reason was as well that at the time i just discovered two films had been announced that had like a really similar plot. yeah and yeah. i thought oh shit like <laughs> now is my fucking time you know so yeah. Um, so I just pulled it out at the beginning of 2010. I got this script out and I said, right, I'm making this this year. Like this is happening, you know, while post-production's going on, while it's yeah. all out of my hands, I'm going to go and make this other film in the meantime. Um, but I thought I'm going to do it. Well, at first we looked at doing it with a big crew, the same kind of way. Yeah. Um, but that very quickly started falling by the wayside. Anyway, two and a half years later, the film was finished. Yeah. Um, and we got, like fairly big distribution um in the UK and America. Um and that kind of kickstarted the whole thing that I work that I that I've dedicated my life to now. It's and I mean I've got to be I I you know I I sat down and watched uh, Slash House yesterday. I really loved it and then some sort of real there's some you sort of there's some really, really bold choices in there. I absolutely loved all the the fact that you're working with just like you know primary colours in it, and you know the, the the red and the green, and you know the fact that then when you get to sort of watch some of your other stuff as well, it it feels like you've got this sort of like Lovecraftian sort of this you know descending upon the MCU kind of universe going on where things cross over, and you know it, it's a really, really interesting, interesting story, and it's. It's a, it's a wonderful example of what can be done with on a smaller budget with a really, really with a good script with a tight cast and a tight crew and, it, and you know and it, it's a it's a really good film and I highly recommend people going out there and, and, and seeing it because it's available on Amazon Prime as well, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's on there. I mean, I will. What I will say is that it's like a ten-year-old film now. You yeah. know, uh, made at the cusp of um, the HD revolution. So I mean. For for me as a filmmaker, I, it's difficult for me to watch it now because I definitely feel like it's not representative yeah. of um, of the work that we do now. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I mean, like there were so many limitations back then. I mean, I think it was the first film to be shot on like an entry level DSLR. So right. um, yeah, you know. Uh, but again, I think another film beat us to it because we took so bloody long in post production. Yeah. Um, is a release, but um, yeah. but we were the first guys to shoot it, and then about a year later, a film called Killer Inc. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's our title. Um, but I, I don't know whether that ever scored major distribution. I know yeah. that it got a release, um, a small theatrical release. So, so technically, I think maybe we still were the first film made on a kind of 
uh, entry level DSLR because up until then, even to shoot in a DSLR was going to cost you, you yeah, know, two, yeah. three thousand pounds. Um, yeah. And I just took my August card, plonked this uh, <laughs> this bloody at the time like nine hundred pound camera, yeah, on uh, on on credit, and kind of thought, fuck it, I'll worry about it later, you know, yeah, like, um, yeah, and then um, we we managed to get an investment of the other kind of four thousand pounds to make it, and that was it. But we shot on the Isle of Man. Um, wow. So we had we had four thousand pounds. Yeah, you fly people to the Isle of Man <laughs> to shoot this bloody film. Like it was just, I can't even tell you what we had to do to. Well, I mean, I, I might tell you. Okay, well, yeah, well, uh, yeah, to get there. But like, we had to do all sorts of mad things. So we had like, so we started casting crew, a uh, cast that could also be crew. Yeah, that was like yeah. a big thing that we yeah. started doing. Um, so we were, yeah, we we started kind of. Uh, casting based on what else can you do you know you know what i mean yeah so absolutely and, um ad was also like the main villain in the film yeah. <laughs> um so he spent the first five days that he wasn't on film building props and and all yeah. that and yeah. then you'd go you'd radio down and go stop drilling come over here <laughs> you know <laughs> you know He'd stand there, he'd do his scene, and you go, he'd go, right, am I done? Can I go and finish building this chair now or whatever? And you go, yeah, yep, yeah, go on. Yeah. Um, and so it was a lot like that, um, you know. Uh, but we to get even to even to get there, we we couldn't afford um, to take a van because they wanted us to pay commercial rates to go on the ferry. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. Which would have been our entire budget. Yeah. So yeah. Um, we. Got a camper's travel pass. Right. Uh, stuffed his van with basically film equipment and then came concocted this story where we were old uni friends off on a camping trip. Yeah. And just yeah. prayed that they believed us, you know, like um and we and we got away with it, uh, luckily. The worst part was coming back. We um we got there with kind of general film equipment and stuff, but coming back, we had cleavers and swords yeah, and all yeah. sorts of stuff that we bought while we were there that then were like kind of hidden in this van but of course our saving grace going there was that um we'd taken one of the girls uh working on it was um a production assistant she came with us on the way but yeah. she'd have to leave before us going back so we kind of turned up all kind of fresh-faced you know uh, with this kind of like pretty young girl in the car you know like um impy looking girl in the car, um, in the van on the way there. So they kind of just were like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, just go on through. But on the way back, we've spent three weeks living in a prison. We look like <laughs> beard, you know, huge beards, gr- no sleep, grizzled eyes, the car, the sorts. Honestly, we look like we'd like robbed a place, you know, like um, we were trying family to get returning. Order. Um, and they stopped up, they did stop us. Check the van very briefly, and uh, we we'd slid all these weapons and stuff underneath all oh, the film God. equipment. So they checked it, gone. That seems fine here, and uh, <laughs> luckily let us through. But Christ, you know, it was it was it was an experience, and an experience that I'd, like I don't think I'll ever have again. You know, it was it was quite something. Yeah, I yeah, mean, and I think and I, it's only when it's you only... sort of have these experiences and sort of lower you know uh, you know when you f- sort of i remember working on you know when we were working with gareth on footsteps and we there's one of the scenes on it was a chase through um was through um i think it was canton in cardiff at the sort of early hours of the morning so we just rocked up and started chasing uh like the lead character down the street at early hours of the morning sort of waving sort of various implements and you know one of i remember i think somebody sliding across the bonnet of some drug dealer's car and sort of not even really, you know, thinking, oh my God, we're going to be killed by some really pissed off drug dealer who, because some <laughs> some deranged extra, I'm not going to mention any names, Craig Berryman, um, slid across <laughs> his BMW. And, you know, the fact that he saw a camera there went, oh yeah, that's great, don't worry about it. And, <laughs> or, you know, or filming beating somebody to death in an alleyway in the middle of Aberdeer at early hours of the morning. And two junkies sort of walking past going, oh, 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 bud, you all right? Oh. 
<laughs> well, you've got to do what you've got to do, haven't you? Like, Absolutely. that's what it comes down to. Absolutely. So, in terms of, uh, do you have a process for writing? Do you have, um, do you sort of, or do you, you sort of just allow sort of, you know, where do you get your inspiration from and those kind of things when it comes to sort of putting something together? Uh, I guess, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd love to say I have a process. If I do, I'd love to be able to tell myself what it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do have like, um, I mean, you, people can't see anywhere. I yeah, could yeah, show yeah. you. I don't, I don't have anything to hand. But usually I do, I draw, uh, I mean, I have a degree in screenwriting. So this bloody three act structure diagram is like ingrained in my yeah. mind. <laughs> um, so, but what I tend to do is draw essentially like a kind of really basic comic strip. Um, which mm. is based on the three act structure, which is the line, and then um, you know the line with the middle and the first act and yeah, third yeah, act, yeah. the breaks. And what I do is I basically go, what happens in each piece of this, and I kind of sketch out like a little drawing and leave a little note. You know, what sums up? What's the image? Um, you know, what's the what's the iconic moment that I'm going to capture here, 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 here? Yeah. Um, and that's kind of basically how I plot it out. Although it's a really, really basic way of doing it, and I find it quite frustrating. I do have – I've been developing um, a story writing tool that helps me kind of balance things out a bit more mm. um, over the last couple of years, and I used it to write our last two features, um, yeah. which kind of uh, – it's like a 25-step process that basically crosses over and allows you to – shows me – it allows me to keep track of kind of character arc. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah which is what I realised, you know, um, in, during my process. I think I was not focusing on for everyone outside of the main character a lot of the time, and I mm. thought. So it helped me focus on that a little bit more. And it was really helpful. Uh, Pandemonium it was the first time I used it uh, because there were so many moving characters. That yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. I, you know, like I, I suddenly felt like I was introducing a character and then going, well, I've got nothing for them to do until they die. And I thought, I, that feels cheap. And you think... Yeah. Let's give them an arc somewhere. So, how does this fit? Where you know where do, where does that need to go? And I found that quite a creative um, way of working. Having this table as a go, right? You know, like so that we introduce them here, they die here. So, in the middle of that, what scenes have I got, and how can I work that character into it and give them more of an arc? You yeah. know, um, yeah. and so I found it is a kind of really useful way of writing. Uh, you know, uh, a tool for writing in that way, but. As a general process, I, I mean, I try different things all the time. Like yeah. currently, I'm writing something, and I was just kind of free flowing it. Like I just thought, just start writing. Yeah, and you kind of know what kind of tone and film you're going for. So let's yeah. start writing it. Um, so I wrote the first 15 pages or so, and was like, okay, like that's a solid opening. I'm not really sure where to go from here. Mm. And I thought, but ultimately, where would you end this? And I suddenly, it, boom, it came to me. Yeah. So then I wrote another 15 pages, which was the third act. Yeah. So now I'm just stuck with the horrendous hell that is figuring out how I get from this kind of strange point to this other completely different point. Yeah. Uh, I'm making that interesting, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I do. I do try a lot of different things, but a lot of the time, I, my process really just involves um, drawing this diagram out and kind of feeling what the film wants to do. Yeah. And the big thing for me is like, what am I creating that's different to something else, or what, like, what's the iconic image that I'm looking for? You know, like, um, like, uh, for example, like I'll just say, like. I'll picture a scarecrow with huge wings. Yeah. You know, I go, oh, what's, what's that? Yeah. You know, where's that going? And, uh, you know, like, um, where, where am I putting that? Um, you know, uh, and I think that's, that's kind of how I do it. Um, like with Mask of Thorn, mm. the, there was um, a midsection where I knew that uh, basically a bunch of people were going to get killed very, very quickly. Yeah. in a kind of massacre and so that became my like center point of how am i going to make this interesting and the center point of the movie and yeah um you know and and i think a lot of the time as well is you have to write shit first yeah then look at it and go why is this not working like or you know what is working about this yeah um, and well, so i guess i'd see i don't listen to my own advice but the you know, the, my best process really is to 
write what I call a shit dump draft. Yeah. Where I just like puke all over the page. Yeah, brain. I call it brain vomiting. Yeah. Like, and it's not even a story off the time. It's like, you know, like people magically pulling out a fucking, you know, a gun from yeah, nowhere. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. I did, she had a gun all along, you know, because yeah. then what I do in my second draft is go, right, so we're, obviously we're going to fucking introduce that yeah. gun. Uh, another, my, my big trick I've always found for writing in general is that I write the first act um, like you know the the strong opener, the, how you picture it, the opener, yeah. and I spend my most time on that because basically th- that's when people are going to turn off. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, and then I come to the end and I, I layer myself with traps. So I just write the end as yeah. if as if that's also the opening. Yes, you know, um, and I start laying myself uh, laying traps out for you know uh, for myself. Yeah, but then. Um, that then I try to weave back in along the way. Um, yeah. I guess with Bannister Dollhouse, I um, or the Haunting of Molly Bannister, as it's now called. Yeah. Um, I um, I wrote this thing, um, the ending um, where the mother finds this vial of holy water when she's cleaning up in the kitchen. Mm. You know, and I just wrote it randomly, thinking. I, I don't know where the fuck that's going to fit in. Yeah. Um, but then there's a whole sequence later where they basically, you know, yeah. use this thing and there's a whole joke about it, you know, and it becomes this huge uh, pivot point in the film. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I lay little traps like that for myself and then I'll, I'll read it later and go, shit, I didn't come up with anything for that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's like your own Chekhov's and, gun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you also, but I also, it, it's also sometimes my undoing, um, because uh, on the same film, uh, the actress came to me and she says, uh, she said, I don't have any cigarettes, and I said, what are you on about? She said, well, I have them. Have you got any in the prop in the prop box? And I said, No. Why? why what? What you? You don't smoke. What are you talking about cigarettes for? And she went. It says she sat smoking at the. At the, at the back door, you know, <laughs> yeah. her hand is trembling, and I was like, "Oh shit, that's like a trap that I laid for myself." <laughs> I didn't follow up on because I've, obviously I'd I'd decided, like you know, that to show this woman's nervous disposition to yeah. the film, I was going to have yeah. her be a smoker, but it just ended up not being practical in terms of the story, or because you know, or or generally the location yeah. we were shooting, so it got nixed really quickly. Yeah. But obviously, I left this little fragment of it at the end, <laughs> you know. Um, and so I guess, but well, I get, yeah, I guess my process is to kind of leave little traps from bear traps for myself. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. sometimes actual bear traps, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, um, for myself, um, and then use them as a kind of creative bouncing off point. Yeah. You know? So, in terms of um, your inspiration, you know, in terms of sort of influences on you, what would you say are some of your like your biggest influences? Um. It's a, I guess, a lot of people say other filmmakers. Um, yeah. Just really true. It is true. I mean, I watch, I watch probably three new films a day. Mm. I mean, especially at the minute. Yeah. But I, <laughs> I, my life's kind of set up to do that anyway because I run the business from my own home. Yeah. You know, so I'm quite often I'll put a film on and then I'll be working on something else, whether it's writing or editing. Yeah. So I do watch a lot of films anyway. So you t- I tend, you t- I draw inspiration from like amazing films, from terrible films, yeah. from media films um you know and uh but I, there, there are certain influences that i do have carpenter uh, yeah. i mean obviously um barva agento um yeah. in terms of color and um and uh kind of composition yeah uh, but like my you know my my it comes from all over the place robert rodriguez uh, kind of the the way he approaches products mm. you know you know films as a product yeah yeah um you know and and i yeah, tend to find i mean even like you know like i mean as i say even trauma films but especially trauma films yeah. that's, that's yeah. so much from from those things um but i also take massive inspiration from um mostly from people who i work with and know people like um like andrew jones yeah um, from north bank um like I find his films fascinating because he has so little resources. Yeah. Yeah. What he 
juices with them i like i find incredible because he he treats it in such such a uh an efficient way that i yeah. love to go to that and go right this is this is incredible how can i apply this to what i'm doing to make my flow yeah more yeah 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 efficient? you know and i think there's a lot i do a lot of that um comic books is the number one and i think yeah i draw from comic books more than i draw from anything else so you, um, who your influences in terms of comic books i mean mine i'm a massive massive garth Ennis fan huge oh, garth yeah. Ennis fan I, you know and i you know the um his i think his run on the on the punisher on the marvel max punisher series is just it's, it is probably for me um uh, is the best is the best the punisher's ever been um, and he's yeah. like he's like my you know the Punisher is one of my favorite is my favorite character you know, there's no two ways about it. Um, he's my white favorite character. Yeah, and I think you know Garthinus has sort of just um, just nailed it, and he's able to go from that sort of because I think the Punisher is a slightly camp character anyway. Um, yeah, I see. I would see. I yeah, I get where you come from. And I think he's able to balance out that sort of that sort of almost like that sort of borderline silly edge to him um with the extreme brutality and the realness um that that his run of the, on those books brought which is just, which is yeah. which really 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 clever really I clever. always quite, max stuff I always quite like that they treat him like like an 80s level Arnold Schwarzenegger threat yes. like yeah. if you're in a room with him oh fuck yeah. Like, uh, you know, the way that screenwriters would write Arnold Schwarzenegger or Stallone yeah. in, in the 80s, you know, yeah. where it's like, if they're in a room, men, men will fear them and yeah, 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 women yeah. will want to be with them, you know, and then he's kind of written like that, you know. Yeah. That, um, and I think that's where The Punisher works the best is, uh, you know, um, when he's kind of 80s inspired, yeah. influenced. Yeah, um, I, think, I think you're right there. Well, yeah. I, think, I think for me, I mean... Like I grew up with people like Scott Lobdell, um, yeah, 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 yeah. and uh, Chris Claremont, kind of writing X Men, uh, Generation X, and things like that. Yeah. So that's where a lot of my kind of storytelling roots, I guess, started off. Um, but also, I mean, uh, I, I'm, I've been a been a graphic designer for about twenty years, so yeah. I'm very much influenced by uh, people like Joe Majura, mm. um, Humberto Ramos, um, yeah. you know, like. Um, and people with kind of like <clears throat> that very distinctive um, kind of art style. I mean, I've, I could list and talk about bloody comic book artists all 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 the live long day, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but I, but I take so much inspiration from um, those creators as well, um, you know. And I think that's where that's where I, that's where I try to get my kind of unique edge from. I guess. Mm, yeah. You know, because I I try to apply what I love about that to what I love about filmmaking. You know, um, and I think in terms of look and style and feel, uh, I'm always basically writing a '90s comic book. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of my niche, I guess. Yeah, and you and I, I suppose you, you you do get that sense, particularly in the thinking the in the slasher house films. There is that sort of there is that real feel to it, and it's it's quite a you know it's it's quite a nice sort of it's sort of um, I suppose using the word nice and slasher movies is kind of a, is a bit of an oxymoron, I suppose. But but there is that sort of you, you recognise it, but it's sort of it's not a, it's not jarring because I think sometimes when some people do take those that sort of route, it can be really really jarring. You can see when somebody has sort of been directly influenced by say something like Suspiria, and you know they it it, it can feel like you're being just sort of you know it's trying to so it almost feels like the filmmaker's trying to weed out those latent epileptics in, in their yeah. audience you know what i mean it's that sort yeah, of yeah absolutely you know. uh, well i think there's you know <clears throat> it's either it's either there for a reason or it's not <clears throat> yeah it's a lot of the time i mean i've um i've always worked um in color like yeah. ever since i was a, like you know a young man like um, that's always been my obsession. Like everything, I'd always lay out a color chart and stuff. Like before, they were bloody color in movies, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like <clears throat> I'd have like a color chart, and that would be my like that would be my approach. That would be a huge part of what I was doing. I'd make narrative choices based on it, and you know, yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and I think there's a difference between just kind of plunking it in there because you think it looks quite nice, and really thinking about why you're putting it there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> 
you know, and um, it was really late on in the Slash House's production that I decided that I was going to em- embrace my art style yeah. as a film. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, because I shot everything with the idea of having kind of very thick greens and yeah. red. So everything was picked to kind of um, bring that out as best as I could with yeah. the budget that we had. <clears throat> But it wasn't until I got in the post and just tried some stuff yeah. that I went, okay, I'm going to go for this. I've got some storyboards that are basically – because I drew storyboards for the film. Mm. And I, you again, using colour theory, it was just green and red, which were the opposites on the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. I um, used only those two colours to draw the storyboards. And so they had this yeah. kind of style to them. Um, and I just thought – can I make a film look like this and will it look any good? And I did it and I hated it and I thought no one will ever like this. And then uh, I had an intern working for me at the time and he came through and was like, is that what the film's going to look like? And I said, oh yeah, no, 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 no. I'm just messing around. And he went, oh no, no, it looks great. It looks great. So yeah, the wheels turning and I thought, let's show it to some other people, see what they think. And uh, I mean, most people came back and said, I wouldn't do it, but it's a very bold choice, you know, and that word, that's that, that words might like be my curse ever since. <laughs> every, every time someone says, you know, I, you know, it's bold or it's not very bold, I go, oh, bold, right? That's a fucking, that's the word we're aiming for, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so whenever I can make a strong, bold choice, yeah. I just do because the, ultimately that's what's going to set your work apart from absolutely everything else. And also, at the time, I think I was really fucking sick of seeing desaturated grey and blue <laughs> movies yeah. everywhere. I was like, fucking hell, like, come on, guys. Like, there are other colours in the space. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it was, that was the trend at the time. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And I mean, um, so in terms of um, film-wise, are there any sort of, you know, particular films that sort of always, <clears throat> you know, that, that are just standout films for you, you know, particularly oh, in the yeah, horror yeah. genre? Which, which, which are your sort of your standout? My top five films in um, in descending order. <clears throat> um, I mean, Halloween. I think yeah. you have to use that if you if you're if you're making horror. Halloween should be like your Citizen Kane. I think. Yeah. So yeah. You go there and you go because that's this distillation of horror. Oh, it's 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 purest form. Absolutely. Got, there's no fat to it at all. No. No. Um, it's like it's the sort of it's the perfect example of economy emotion in terms of of film. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's the Morrison's twenty p white label <laughs> noodles of horror. Yeah. <clears throat> it gets the fucking job done. And yeah, you're full afterwards. You yeah. know, but no, I mean it's genuinely like I'm kind of amazed that they managed to expand the story so far uh, over the last four years. Oh, because the, yeah, yeah. There's there's almost nothing to it. Yeah, like well, it's, um, it's, it's a one. It's an event in a night. It is an I think incident. That's why I can because it's to, it's the perfect blank slate to build from. Yeah. Um. So that'd be my that obviously that's I consider that the ultimate film. Yeah. Um. But, but my choices get I get guess get a little bit kind of all over the place after yeah. that. Um. Hellraiser, Hellbound, Hellraiser Two. Yeah. It's my second favorite film of all time. Um. Because it's kind of the opposite of Halloween. Yeah, um, yeah. Is that it's basically it takes everything that the first film does and expands it into like this amazing world. Yeah, and I mean, you got to remember when it was made, they had barely anything to put this film together. Absolutely, you know, yeah. same thing. They had like Nightbreed money, which no, was no. you know <clears throat> that was quite extravagant compared to Hellraiser two. But what they do with Hellraiser two, I just find incredible like um in terms of scope in terms of storytelling in terms of how they improve upon the original idea it's just um for me that's like the dark night of horror films yeah you know (laughs) um it's just like and like every time i think about it there's so many amazing images in that film that just stick forever the bold uh you know 
score to it that you just wouldn't get in a horror film like that. Yeah. When you think of Halloween's fucking simplicity, yeah. and then you think of the orchestral swelling of um, yeah, Hellraiser I mean, there, there are two films on sort of opposite ends of the scale, aren't they? You've got yeah. you, you've got that sort of that sort of the, the sleekness of Halloween, and then you've got the sort of you know sort of almost sort of operatic, yeah, it's gigantic like a gigantic world fantasy, but yeah. that's just still slap bang built on the foundation of like a slasher movie, yeah. almost. Yeah. You know, um, and it's it's fantastic. Um, my third one's like a really obscure one because it's a film that every time I say it's one of my favourite films, people go, oh yeah, I haven't thought about that film for, for ages, you know. Um, but I think it's because it never gets a really good release. Yeah. Um, is The Hitcher. Yes. Oh, like, it's, oh. perfect film. Yeah, like, we did, we did, we just did a Hitcher episode um, a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago. And oh God, like going back and watching it, even on, D- I've got the, like one of the first releases on DVD of it. And it's just, oh, it's just beautiful to look at. Is, is it the the one with uh, Rudger Hauer's short film on the second disc? Yes, yeah. It's, yeah. it's what an amazing collection of stuff that yeah. disc is. I don't think we need a Blu-ray. Just go and buy that two disc edition. Yeah. You know, like, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, oh yeah, like just in terms of writing, direction, casting, it is perfect yeah yeah you know like it's just it's amazing and i think the only reason it's not like my favorite film of all time is because i saw those other two films first yeah (laughs) you know like that's i think that's it um you know it is it is incredible like um you know it's uh, the, the blending of uh you know of horror of action of suspense it's like sort of if you know if it's like it feels very hitchcockian at times but at the same time you know he's still driving with one hand smoking a cigarette and manages to shoot a helicopter out of the sky yeah like it's it's just every time you think it can't it's it's kind of one of those how far can this go yeah. you know where it starts off he's you know he's cha- he's a killer in the car and then he's chasing them in a car and then, then he's killing the police. Yeah. And then by the end of it, he's fucking shooting helicopters yeah. down, you know, like, and you're like, Oh fuck. Like, you know, and it's, it's like, yeah, I just, I consider it one of the greatest films ever made. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's just super perfection. Perfect. Um, you know, um, and then number four for me is, uh, is like, it's kind of a sidestep from horror a little bit, but, um, still not, I consider, um, Highlander. Yeah, yeah. Like, as films go, like, that film should not be as popular as it is. Yeah. <laughs> but it defies everything to to be that, you know what I mean? Like, the Scotsman playing a Spaniard, the Frenchman playing the Scots guy, uh, and an American playing some kind of strange Russian homicidal maniac. It's, it's just... like, it's the, some of the stuff in it. Like, he walks up to the female, the, uh, the girl... The, the the lead at the bar and goes, I'd like to take you home, Brenda. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like, like in any other film, you'd go, what the, like, no, like unbelievable nonsense. Like yeah. there's no way. But she's like, all right, yeah. And you go, right, it worked for some reason in Highlander. It just yeah. worked because it's so obscure, like abstract, I guess is the Ab- term. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's also got, the horror elements he's being like the Kurgan is like the slasher villain in it. Oh God. He's going around hunting down these immortals, you know? Yeah. And he's like this, he's like Frankenstein's monster with like, well, quite um, literally a time with the, you know, the fact he's still got his next and he's got the steep and it's the fact he becomes a punk. Yeah. I love that. And he looks like something that has just walked off the stage of the misfits. Yeah. He's just, it's just that film is, is incredible it's like it's the great one of the greatest fantasy epics of all time absolutely i think where people go i'm really into fantasy i love lord of the rings and all this and i think no (laughs) (laughs) um you know it's just uh just incredible and then uh, my fifth favorite film it breaks my h um lineage yeah 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 Um, but terminator the original Terminator. Yeah. A lot of people say Terminator Two is better. I I think 
the reason Terminator works is because it's at essence again a slasher film. Absolutely. Um, and it's just again, it's it's kind of Halloween with a budget. Yeah. You know, like yeah. um, it's what what if Michael Myers could also drive cars and ride bikes and yeah yeah. You know, um, was an <laughs> robot. Yeah, no, yeah. It, it, it's just, um, you know, it's it's a, just an incredible film, and I think um, everything about it is just yeah. Top. It's just, um, it's, I guess, like again, such efficient storytelling. Um, yeah. yeah, which just seems to be something that I'm that I'm really into. Well, uh, you'd think it would apply to my work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> I remember being far too young watching The Terminator and just having my mind blown watching mm. that. And particularly, you know, <clears throat> I'm a bit, you know, my wife always make, you know, makes, you know, I've got a bit of a man crush on Arnold. And, okay. yeah, you know, the fact that, you know, that, that, that scene where he's like removing his eye in the mirror is, it, it just blew my mind. It completely blew my mind. And seeing Arnold going from Conan, which is one yeah. of my all-time favourites, to being like the the villain, it's like no, this is not right. It's just it's just superb. It's it's an, it's just a wonderful film. It's just a magnificent film. Oh yeah, it's just uh, again what like is one of the one of the best. Well, I like to say for for me the fifth best best film ever made. Yeah. <laughs> high praise. So. Um, what have you got coming up in the future? Oh, well, isn't that the question? Wow. I mean, I guess I guess a couple of months ago, I could have told you with with a lot of clarity. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So we just funded um, Slasher House 3, which is the final part in the Slasher House trilogy. Uh, it is, I mean, you've seen yeah. Slasher House 1. I don't know whether you've seen Slasher House 2, but it's, um, it is, it's just, in terms of scope, stupid. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and completely unachievable. Um, and like, I mean, we we do that quite often. My wife will read the first draft and go, "And how are we doing this?" And I go, oh, "I mean, that's that's your you figure that out." You know, <laughs> I'm just the artist. Um, but she really looked at me and said, "Like, I, I, I don't think we can do this on the you know the five grand budget that we've raised." Yeah. You know, and I go, "But I think." I think it's about breaking it down into pieces. But um yeah. so that's that's what is in our current kind of forefront, but obviously we can't produce that at the minute because it's got a cast of 35 people and yeah. You know, um and uh you know it takes place in kind of close quarters and has you know hundreds of extras fighting and yeah. you know it's just it's really not right now an achievable project for us to make um until all this kind of dies down yeah i guess yeah um so uh we i have been working on some kind of smaller scope things to to do in the meantime yeah um, that i can't really yeah that's yeah absolutely yeah um we did announce uh, a little bit earlier than anticipated um before all this happened, we announced we did announce. Uh, so we, the plan is the plan originally was to finish Slash House three, um, kind of in the autumn, and then go straight into pre production on uh, Wrath of Thorn, which is the yeah. third Thorn film, with with the plan with a Lou to start doing that in January. Mm. Um, but of course, that's um, yeah, it's sort of there's something sort of holding a lot of things back at the moment, and um... yeah, and I, I think I'd, of course I'd have to really pick the year where, um, where I decided to do kind of epic, <laughs> you know, yeah. ensemble cast films, uh, rather than usually what I have is a cast of like three or four people, you yeah. know. Yeah. I was like, no, let's go and do these big ones this year, you know, like an idiot, and uh, um. <laughs> But it's also quite frustrating because we'd just secure well, we'd just been in talks to secure bigger budgets for two Yeah. Projects. You know, like so these would have been our first um real budgeted projects, you know, outside yeah. uh, because you I mean our process really is we raise as much as we can, we 
take whatever we have and make the best film that we can. Yeah. You know, with what we have, it's been our process for the last kind of 10 years. Yeah. Uh, but we'd got to a point where um, we'd been told that, you know, okay, we can find the budget for that, um, you know, to make these bigger projects with, you know, cost, you know, yeah. large scale yeah. costumes and uh, animatronics and things, which is kind of basically pretty much the only thing you can't do when you, when you're working on a budget, a low, a low budget. Yeah. It's yeah, kind yeah, of, yeah. It's kind of epic scale monsters, you know, um, and that's what we kind of wanted to do. So, um, but that's all of course been thrown up in the air now. So we don't know. The idea was to finish Sasha House in the, in the autumn and go straight into these two other projects uh, in the winter. Yeah. Um, and be working on Wrath of Thorn as a kind of low budget. Yeah. Uh, you know, underneath that, ready to go into production in the new year. That's yeah, um, and I think like I think that's the frustration at the moment for all filmmakers, isn't it? Is that you know that that sort of itch to get to get back to it. Yeah. To get back to it, but obviously it's got to be safe. And well, this the, is it, and I think I think the film set is one of the very few places where social distancing is just impossible. Like it is impossible. Like, yeah, you I know, mean, think about being in a classroom with thirty teenagers, mind you. That's in in terms of social distancing. I, I don't, <laughs> I don't envy you. That I is, have, uh... I'd have a stick with a boxing glove on the end, <laughs> just, and a circle when they come yeah. across it, just. I'm just, I'm just imagining sort of you know the sort of uh, the scene in Horde, uh, the Horde where the guy is on top of the car at the end. Yeah, that, that's pretty much going to be me in a classroom, just surrounded by children. Going, it's, uh, it's, uh, you just need the Peter Griffin approach where he says yeah. you, you fight school kids, you just back up into a, a bathroom stall and just start kicking. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, MJ, thank you so much for being on. Uh, where can the good listeners find you on the social medias? And, you know, please feel free to let them know whatever they can find you to sort of particularly help sort of fund some of your fantastic films. Well, uh, there's a, I mean, we've built a kind of, um, uh, you know, a little kind of hub where you can kind of find all our stuff. But uh, if you go to myco, M-Y-C-H-O, uh, .co.uk, uh, you can find all our films listed there, trailers, uh, kind of information about them. You can buy our films there from our online store. Um, you can watch short films that we've made there. Um, we have a kind of um, a micro-based podcast where we talk to like different cast members about their experiences working on various micro-films and stuff. Um, all sorts. We've got a blog there about filmmaking, just you know, loads of random stuff. We also have uh, patreon.com slash Myco, um, where we had, up until the lockdown, been making um, short short form content, yep. um, you know, X amount of times a year. Um, and so that really helps us. Uh, it's a monthly subscription from like one or two dollars and, it, you know, up to... I think I think our top tier is about hundred dollars, but you get various things for that credits on the films, and um, you know, uh, kind of we'll send out nice things to you every now and then, and um, you know, and you get first look at, um, at these films usually by about a year, um, wow. you know, but um, so you get them before they even go to like festivals and stuff. Um, uh, we've got uh, you get ex- kind of exclusive interviews with cast members and stuff on there. Um, we're working on putting. Uh, like a new comic on there to go with the kind of comics that we released through the website. Um, you know, and just there's all sorts there. It's, fabulous. It's, it's worth checking out. Excellent. 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 And of course you are available. I noticed that you do pop up on Facebook and on some of the other media. Are you on Twitter? And uh... yeah, I don't use Twitter that often. Uh, that's, I'm too old for Twitter, I think. <laughs> I don't understand. It's, it makes me feel old and in the way. Yeah. <laughs> the information moves too quickly. If you could print it out to be like a newspaper, that would be excellent. <laughs> <laughs> MJ, thank you so much for giving up your time for being on. I really, really appreciate it. You take care now, my friend. You too, mate. Thanks very much. Thanks very much.